Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I want you to put in your diary the 15th of October, 7 p.m. at the State Library Theatre. I'm doing a show called The Consequences of Murder with an amazing former Queensland police officer. Helen Rose. I go into detail I've never shared before, particularly on a personal side. As the show is a little bit different this time, we go deep into the murders that we've been involved in, but also the effects of being involved in those murders. The murder that Helen was involved in will shock you to the core. It's everybody's worst nightmare. So grab a ticket and we'll see you there. Thanks. Uh, hello and thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. And just a couple of things I'd like to ask you to consider. Firstly, my guests share their personal stories, which others may see differently. No one will see a situation the same. It's just human nature. Uh, secondly, my podcasts aren't suitable for children and some adults for that matter. So please consider if it's right for you and contact Lifeline or any other support service if you find yourself affected by my subject matter. It's quite creepy when you think this man was twice my age at the time and he's befriending teenagers. This interview discusses in detail child sex abuse, so please consider if it's right for you. Now, I want you to grab a cuppa uh, because today's introduction, it's pretty long-winded, but I felt it was really important. So bear with me, but there is a reason. Okay, thanks. When I was still policing, Section 48 of the Victorian Crimes Act explained the offence of sexual penetration with a 16 or 17-year-old child under care, supervision or authority. I understand it may have changed a little in the wording and act number and other states within Australia will probably have a similar offence, but the Victorian offence reads as follows, quote, A person must not take part in an act of sexual penetration with a 16 or 17-year-old child to whom he or she is not married and who is under his or her care, supervision or authority. Consent is not a defence to a charge under this section unless the accused satisfies the court on the balance of probabilities that at the time of the alleged offence, the accused believed on reasonable grounds one, that the child was aged 18 or older, or two, that he or she was married to the child. This offence is limited to cases where the 16 or 17-year-old child is under the care, supervision or authority of the offender, close quote. So it's considered a serious sexual offence with a term of imprisonment uh, level five. That's a maximum of 10 years. So for example, when a child is considered to be under the care, supervision or authority of a person, it includes being the child's teacher, uh, foster parents, employer, legal guardian, sports coach, youth worker, counsellor, health professional, maybe a member of the police force acting in the course of his or her, her duty in respect of the child. So 
as a 16-year-old student, and this is in Victoria, but again, it's probably similar in most other states, that if a teacher instigates any type of sexual interaction, and I'm loath to use the word relationship because it infers some type of consent and could be misconstrued as normalising child sex abuse because that's what it is. It is child sexual abuse and as such consent doesn't come into it. There is such an imbalance of power between, say, a supervisor or carer and a child. For instance, um, a teacher and a student, hence why a law was made to protect that power imbalance. Sex offenders often spend hours, weeks, months, even years grooming a vulnerable person in their care. For instance, the student in my example, because grooming is all part of gaining the trust and acceptance of their victim. So in the end, the victim comes to think it's all very normal, which is exactly what the groomer wants. Some sex offenders, in particular pedophiles, they're very patient, manipulative people who are often very charismatic and popular. And it's often why others find it so hard to accept the possibility that they've committed the heinous crime of a sex offence against a child. So let's make this as plain and simple as I possibly can. A 16 year old student cannot have an affair with a teacher because an affair infers a consensual sexual relationship between adults. It is not. I understand that there can be some confusion um, about the above because 16 years old is the age of consent here in Victoria and most states in Australia, I think, but there's a very important word there, consent. So let's say you've got a 50-year-old that's having a consensual sexual relationship with a 16-year-old. It may be unusual and concerning, but it isn't illegal as long as that 50-year-old isn't in any way, shape or form in a supervisory or caring role of that 16-year-old. So why am I explaining this today? Because today's guest, Leah Solis, mistakenly thought for near on a quarter of a century that she'd had an affair with her teacher when she was 16. And it wasn't until 2017 that she learned that it was in fact child sexual abuse and the psychological damage began to manifest itself in all different ways, particularly emotionally. Leah tried reporting it to the school at the time, but they tucked her back into bed, making her believe that she was as much a consenting equal participant as the teacher. Her concerned parents also spoke with the school and they were assured that the teacher would be sacked immediately, yet six months later, he was still an active member at the school. Leah doesn't believe that the school ever reported it to the police. Unfortunately, Leah's story is far too common. So thanks for your time today, Leah, and I'm sorry in a way that we have to have this conversation, but it's important that we talk about these uncomfortable experiences because if we didn't talk about it, we wouldn't learn and be educated on what's acceptable and not acceptable. Oh, thanks very much for having me, Narelle. Appreciate your time. Ah, no, I appreciate yours. Now, look, uh, I believe uh, hopefully you didn't fall asleep during that. <laughs> I was <laughs> I was listening intently. <laughs> I bet you were. Um, yeah, so I believe that uh, it's nothing unusual that you're a bit nervous about this morning and the interview, but to calm your nerves, you've done what? <laughs> I may have been watching John Peter Farnham on an old uh, video of Hey, Hey, It's Saturday celebrating John Peter Farnham, <laughs> an episode just dedicated to him and his music. <laughs> oh, look, uh, yes. that. That brings back so many memories to me. So did you say it was Hey, Hey, It's yes, Saturday? Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was a an institution way back, what was that, the 80s or the 90s? Yeah, the 80s and 90s. It's a, yes, it's kind of, yeah, what you did on a Saturday night before you went out, I think, for a long while. Like you'd sit there with your family and then you'd go out. So, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, and, um, yeah, it's um, very sad we've had a, a big – Oh, what month, I suppose, with um, Olivia Newton-John passing away and John 
Farnham being so sick. Mm. So to anybody that knows uh, John Farnham, uh, you know, we're thinking of you all and we hope um, that he he gets better very soon and gets home with his family mm. and friends. Long road ahead, I think, but, yeah, I hope he, he conquers it. Yeah, you're a bit of a fan, I believe. I am. John I've seen him Farnham. many, many, many times. And I, instead of my everybody singing happy birthday for my 40th birthday, I made them sing You're the Voice. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm a bit tragic fan, yeah. Oh, that is tragic, Leah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about your life up until uh, when the abuse started with your teacher? Just a little bit about maybe, you know, what life was like. Uh, you're from Tassie, so you grew up in Tassie. Um, you know, did you have any ideas on what you wanted to do career-wise? Just uh, take us through that for you, yeah, for us, please. Um, so I, my mum and dad are from New South Wales initially um, and they came down here for their honeymoon and subsequently had me and they moved down here. Um, and I grew up in a southern suburb of Hobart and it's only about 10 minutes from the city um, and I used to be quite a good runner and an athlete. Um, I used to play netball. I loved, I lived and breathed athletics and netball actually. Um, yeah, so I, like I represented a couple of state teams and yeah, it was quite oh, okay. prolific. I still actually hold a couple of um, records so I believe somebody told me the other day that they're still there after 30 years so... <laughs> I think, oh, that's rather odd. So, yes, and um, so I went to a public school up until grade six um, in the same suburb that I lived and then um, my mum and dad wanted to send me to a private school because they thought the education would be better and so they sent me to a private school in town, which is only about 15 minutes away from where we lived. Um, so I started there in 1989. And, yeah, I, I, it was a bit of a culture shock because it was an all-girls school. Um, I knew a couple of girls that were there. Not, I was the only girl that went from my um, – my primary school, school, yeah, my primary school yeah, yeah. to a, a private school. Everybody else went to the other co-ed public high school and I really wanted to go there. That was where all my friends were going but mum and dad, you know, they were working class. They saved and and really wanted a good education for me and my brother. My brother also went to a private school. He's a couple of years younger than me. So we started at the same year at both. He was in grade five and I was in grade seven in 1989. And, yeah, so that's actually the same year that this particular team teacher started at the school too. So, um, yeah, so I basically up, up until sort of grade 10, I was basically training a few days a week for athletics and netball and basically I didn't have time to get a job or anything like that because I was doing so much um, extracurricular sport. So, um, yeah, that kind of consumed all my days. Um, yeah, so that's basically – and I really wanted to be a sports teacher. That's actually what I wanted to be when I left school. Um, so that was the trajectory I was on basically um, and it was looking pretty good until, um, yeah, my – abuser um started grooming me basically so yeah that's pretty much in a nutshell how old were you when uh actually I might go back and just say that for the listeners that today we're not going to be actually talking about the the actual detail about the sex abuse that you suffered at the hands of your um, teacher, but we're concentrating more on what happened afterwards and the lifelong damage that that abuse caused. So you just um, touched then on grooming. So looking back, did your abuser groom you into accepting that what was happening between you was normal? And if so, what did that grooming entail? Okay, so... I well, he he befriended myself and two of my other friends, and 
we used to go up to his office because he was actually a PA teacher, as cliched as that sounds. Um, he was actually the PA teacher and the head of um, physical education at the school. And we used to go up there in our lunch hour and sit down and talk to him about, you know, boys on the bus and, you know, just things that young teenage girls think are the biggest things in their lives. Um, so, yeah, I just, it, it didn't seem to me back then, I can now see it as an adult, of course, and having children of the same age now, um, I can see it for what it was. Um, but I just, I just thought he was a great mate to us all. And it wasn't just me, I think, that he was grooming. I just happened to be the one. The other girls weren't um, approached by him, but we were all there. We were, he, was, he was befriending us and, you know, making himself um, a good mate to us who we could confide in and, you know, I, I just saw him as someone I could confide in, you know, if I had a fight with my parents or, you know, there was a guy I liked on the bus. And it wasn't just me on my own. It was me and two other friends that would go up in the lunch hour and sit there and we'd eat our lunch and he'd eat his lunch. And now that I look back on it, it's quite creepy when you think this man was twice my age at the time and he's befriending teenagers and, you know, kind of – inserting himself into their lives. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of – and that's all it was to start off with. He was married um, until I found out that he had separated from his uh, his wife um, and that was during the school holiday. So at the end of grade 10 through to the end of year 11 – so he was working at the school pool and I had gone there and I'd been quite upset because there was a boy involved and he was really pressuring me to have sex with him. And I didn't, I, I was, thought it was too soon and, you know, we hadn't been going out very long and I was only just 16 at the time. So I confided in him about that. He said, look, I really want to talk to you more about that. Why don't you meet me? at my house, which was just down the road from the school, um, after I finished here. I thought, oh, okay, cool. I didn't think anything of it. And that's when I um, realised that he had been left by his wife and that's when that was the day that it started. It was about two weeks before school went back the following, yeah, for that year. So, uh, yes, it was quite... Yeah, I, I just didn't see it coming, to be honest. And so, Leah, when you say that you went uh, to his house, that was the first time you'd been to his yes. house, is that yeah. right? Yeah, and he actually gave me a beer, um, you know, and I wasn't a drinker, I was an athlete, so I didn't drink. I wasn't, you know, back then we didn't go out and party or anything like that, like the girls and guys do these, in this day and age, back in the old days. But, yeah, so... That was another thing that I didn't even think twice about. I thought, oh, that's kind of cool that I'm having a beer, you know. And But now looking back, I can see that he was softening me up basically for want of a better oh, expression. Yeah. Um, yeah, so and then advanced on to making a move on me um, on that particular day. And I kept a diary um, which came in very handy because some – for some reason, I have not lost that diary. I've lost plenty of other things in moves and what have you, but I've always had that diary from every house I've ever moved in from when I was 14 years old up until when the abuse started. So I wrote in the diary what was happening. So, oh, really? yeah, that's actually God. stood me in good stead with the police because I had dates and times of when my abuser had done what he'd done to me, yeah. So, so Leah, go, going back with that diary, from an evidence point of view, you don't get any better evidence no, I'm than pretty lucky a diary. in that respect because yeah. it was kind of concrete yeah. evidence. Yeah, but but also, Leah, why why was there something in the back of your mind that made you write that 
diary, like, write these things? Did you have a bit of an inkling that something wasn't right? Or So when I found the diary, when I approached the police in 2017, um, and we'll go back to this or back to the the school a bit later but um I reread what my 15 16 year old self had been right you know sort of saying as an adult and it was very confused and you know it was like I was living a double life I actually say and you know there were parts where I got quite upset because I was in in conflict with myself a lot of the time. I was suicidal at times because I didn't, you know, it obviously was weighing on my brain, but I didn't actually outwardly say in the diary that, oh, I don't think this should be happening, but I was very confused. So it was, yeah, it's it's an odd thing to have kept all these years, but in some ways it, it, was excellent from a, an evidence point of view for the police and for the DPP. So, um, but but some but sometimes there's no rhyme nor reason why we do things. No, and and I think subconsciously, uh, maybe you were writing this because you did feel there was something wrong. But but you know sometimes there is no answer no. as to why you do something. You know, but thank goodness you did. Mm. So it was really fortuitous basically when I did come forward the last time um, because the police went through it with a fine tooth comb and then they could decide or, you know, sort of work out what they could charge him with Um, and because there were days of time and I must say I'm not happy with him, believe me, but he did do me the courtesy of not denying it, which was... Something and he actually could remember, which I think is really creepy because I can't. He can remember dates and times too. Whether he kept a diary or not, I don't know, but he knew every single instance that I had written he admitted to and could remember. So he said, So yeah, bit, bit mm. icky basically. So, so Leah, so when this was happening, so was it happening at your at, at his house or? Sometimes, sometimes it was in the equipment room of the gym. You know, it happened at school oh, as well, at the pool. Yeah, there were quite a few times. And there were also times that I didn't write in the diary when it happened. So, um, yeah, it went on for some time and it wasn't just at his house, no. Okay. Did you ever uh, talk about it with like you, you said in your diary that you can read, you were conflicted. Mm. Did you ever talk about it with your friends, or think about talking about it with your friends, or with him for that matter? Yes, I did. And actually, the girl, the girl, one of the girlfriends that used to come up, well, and she still did come up to the uh, gym and speak to him in his office. I told her, and she was my best mate at the time, and. How it played out is that she actually told her mother because she didn't think it was right and then her mother contacted him and basically said, what you're doing is disgusting, etc. And he then came to me and said, oh, you know, there was a lot of blame and he basically threatened me at school and said, you know, if you tell anybody else, um, hmm you're going to get into so much trouble, basically. You basically guilted me into being quiet, basically, because she just rang him. She didn't ring the school. Um, so, I yeah. Um, and that was really awful because basically I was going to the school every day and he just had this absolute hate, you know, this guy that had been my best mate or one of my friends just absolutely hated me and was, you know, basically picking on me whenever he got the opportunity. So I came forward, one day I was standing outside the front of the chapel in the school grounds and I was just crying and he came up, my abuser came up to me, he said, what's wrong? And I didn't answer him and he said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger? And I just bawled even more and then the chaplain um, came and got me, said, what's going on? And he took me into the 
um, his little office and he said, what's happening? And I actually confessed to him that day about what had been going on and he was mates with this guy because I don't know, you know, they were from the same area on the mainland and he was quite shocked and devastated, I think, because, you know, they used to have quite a lot to do with one another. But he went to the school on my behalf and said, look, this has happened. And the school said, I don't think so, and basically dismissed him. And he was still he's still allowed to be there, basically. Um, and then my mother and my mother found my diary. And so... She obviously read it. Would have been quite an awful read for her, I imagine. And they approached the school and they. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. They were assured by the school that this was really serious. They hadn't told her that there'd been a teacher come forward and actually already have have um, dobbed him in basically, um, but they dismissed it. They didn't say that to mum and dad and they assured my mother and father that he would be sacked immediately. So um, I can just remember walking through the school and seeing my mum and dad come out of the office and my heart stopped. It was just awful. I'll never forget that feeling. I just felt like I was going to be sick. So, and then of course he didn't, he didn't get sacked. He actually got to stay at the school for an extra six or seven months after discovery. Um, And the school, to my knowledge, never, and the police haven't got any record of it. They never reported it. He was patted on the head, got a glowing um, Valite, which is a little blurb in the back of the school magazine about what a fantastic teacher he was and he was sent off on his merry way and he's had a lovely career. He's been a principal at a school. He's been on the big bucks and gotten away with it quite nicely for 24 years. So, yeah, it was pretty awful and I, you know, I kind of started spiralling then, to be honest. I, of course you would. Yeah, so I started just not caring about school and they let me not care about school. I could wag, I could, you know, leave the school grounds. I sat in the toilets one day and all day I sat there and nobody came looking for me and 
they just didn't have any duty of care towards me whatsoever. I was in the too hard basket basically because they didn't know how to deal with it. They didn't want to deal with it. They wanted to sweep it all under the carpet and pretend it didn't happen. So I just felt like why should I bother even trying to get an education? I'm obviously not worthy of it. Look how the the school's treating me. I'm just going to, you know, and I started smoking I started drinking. I started. This is the seventeen-year age mark. Um, yep. I sort of lost interest in things that I really love, like athletics and netball. I still did them, but I didn't have the same drive. Passion. Yeah, mm. I didn't have the same drive. Um, so by the time I was eighteen, I was out of my. Ha- I just wanted to get away from my parents because they we had a very fractured relationship after that. Um, and, you know, they didn't know how to cope with it either. They were kind of flying by the seat of their pants and not really knowing what to do. Um, and in hindsight, of course, they have both said, you know, we should have sent you to a psychologist. We should have done this. We should have done that. But hindsight's oh, always – It's easy to yeah, say that. Yeah, it's 2020, exactly. isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. I went – I was going – I got in to do human movement, which is a PE-based – degree at university but I thought I'm going to have a year off and I'm still having that year off 28 years later so I basically you know just went I'm just going to get a job earn some money enough to be able to go out on the town nearly every night and you know take drugs and alcohol and you know be as promiscuous as I like and yeah like I tried to replicate it's really damaged a lot of my um, intuition and, you know, how I, how I perceive things because I would only um, kind of go after, in inverted commas, um, men who are a lot older than me, like who are in their 40s and 50s. So I, I equated, I tried to, that was the blueprint I had in my brain because of the, the sexual um, abuse and, you know, there's a misconception I think sometimes about people who have been sexually abused that they don't like having sex or they don't, they try not to have sex or they don't want to have anything to do with it. It's actually, sometimes it's actually the opposite. You actually become hypersexual and I definitely went down that path as well. Mm. So it was really you know, I just didn't care. I just took so many risks. I used to get on the back of a, a, a motorcycle, absolutely drunk as a skunk. And, you know, I would have smoked a reefer or, or two maybe and no protective gear. I'd have a helmet, but no sort of, and go driving at ridiculous speeds on as a pillion passenger on the back of a motorbike because I just didn't care what happened to me. That's part of the abuse sort of cycle, um, so to speak. So, yeah, I just engaged in so many risk-taking behaviours and becoming uh, hypersexual and, you know, promiscuous is one of those things too because you don't really care about what happens to your body. You, you know, you go home with people you don't know. It's actually... Uh, yeah, and I, I hated myself. It was a vicious cycle because I'd go and do that to make myself feel better and try and replicate that, you know, that teacher-student relationship that I had. And it, it, I then I'd hate myself and then I'd go out and drink to try and forget and then I'd do it all again. So it was just a really toxic, a vicious cycle. toxic mm. cycle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Leah, you said that um, he – it just – um, took me back a little bit when you said that he he actually became a principal. Yeah, I just cannot imagine ignoring the information that the school had and not doing anything. In fact, quite the opposite, holding him up to be this um, a pillar of society, this fantastic teacher. I'm just a bit um, confused. So not only did you tell the chaplain, Mm -hmm. your parents told the school Mm -hmm. 
Did the school ever speak to you to acknowledge anything had happened? Yes, and they made me sign. And I only just remembered this very recently when I was um, providing evidence to the Commission of Inquiry down here in Tasmania. I had a flashback that I hadn't had before and they actually made me sign a document that, of you know, I had to sign this document to say that I wouldn't go near him during school hours. I mean, I can't prove it, but I remember signing it. And it only happened a month or six weeks ago, basically, and I felt sick. You know, I mean, having PTSD, as you know, Narelle can sometimes crop up in the weirdest of ways. And yes. Yeah, just – and it just – hits you for a sick and I you know that what that cold wave again you know and feeling sick in the pit of your stomach you know you just kind of go oh my and that flashback that happens and just feeling revolting afterwards because of you know what you've been through um so but but that would also feed into the guilt yep. uh, that, that it's my fault that I'm responsible, I'm being told by the mm-hmm. school that I'm not to go near him. Uh, oh, that makes me that bloody angry. I will say that he was taken off some of his classes. He was still coaching. Oh, great. He was still yeah. coaching uh, a number of teams. He was still working at the pool, which, you know, girls in skimpy bathers. And, you know, like I just – the. You know, they they had to be seen to have done something. I think that was their – I'm just surmising here, but I think that that's why they did that. So if my parents ever came back or anybody pointed the finger, they say, oh, no, well, she, he's not in classes anymore. But he was at the pool. And I just think, you mm. know, that's just you – know, so creepy now that please, I look please, back on please it. Please don't tell me – yes, you're right. Please don't tell me that he – or I had to use the term, but the budgie smuggles. Please don't tell me you wore those. You know what? I can't remember. I can remember Thank him God. doing. I can remember doing a, um, you know, when you do like your bronze medallion and things like that. I don't know if you had to do that yeah. in the police, but we had to do it at school. It was something that was required. Yep. You know, we all had to do it. Um, and he always used to use me as the person that needed rescuing, which is you know quite odd now that I look back on it. But, yeah, I can't remember whether he wore budget. Maybe he did. I don't know. I can't remember. But he used to wear really yeah, short probably shorts. Best. Yeah, it, it's probably best we <laughs> don't, you don't remember. No, I don't recall, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. And, and the other thing I was thinking of then was when we talk about grooming, that is so typical of what he has done where they, and this is what I meant in my introduction when I talk about how manip- how clever mm. they are and manipulative and just little things about getting your confidence, making you feel comfortable with them, you're liking them, talking about your problems with boys. Uh, you know, that's the sort of stuff that they get off on. Oh, sick. And mm. it, it is. It is sickening. But I think it's important for people to listen to that these warnings about what grooming entails. It is not normal for a male teacher or a person in that role to be befriending. I mean, you can have teachers that you're really fond of, but, you know, having lunch with them and almost being their friend and going to their house. Oh, I mean, and I can see why you did because you thought nothing of it and then you get into this position where you think, my God, this is happening and then it all gets very awkward. And mm. oh, how long did the abuse continue for, or did it go it for? It stopped yeah? after my friend. So that was about July that happened. So it was about a six month period. And I, yeah. So for the rest of that time, I'm just trying to think um, at the timeline. So the rest of that time he was at the school still and we didn't have anything to do with each other again, um, physically, uh, until the end of the school year, but it went on until I was 18. And then he came back again after my dad threatened to break both his arms and legs. Um, nothing else. No, no. He said, don't come anywhere near Leah. Um, give her a couple of years, you know, because he, he actually accused her, him of having a, a thing for 
15-year-old, 16-year-old girls. I think it's called, it's nymphomania or I don't, not nymphomania. Um, uh, it's some sort of pedophilia, nymphophile or something like that. Anyway, we might have to look that up. <laughs> um, so, yes, he accused him of that because he actually met his wife or his ex-wife um, at – while she was at school as a 15-year-old and he was a 22-year-old oh, teacher. Goodness. He'd just okay. come out. Right. So <laughs> it's not like he didn't have form in some ways. So, yeah, so Dad told him not to come anywhere near me, you know, until I was 20 or so and he actually waited and rang me and met up with me when I was 20. So I was still kind yeah. of in that cycle that he had control over me it was absolutely now that I look back on it I think how could I have been so blind it was just yeah quite disturbing when especially now that I have kids that age I just think I would never ever forgive myself if that happened to one of my kids one of my girls yeah all boys if I had Mm. boys yeah you know you were saying before that at the time when the abuse started with the teacher, that you uh, were being pressured by another boy mm. to have sex, and that's how you started talking to the teacher, the abuser. Yes. Um, but I think the, that uh, abuse from an adult gives a child victim like yourself an unrealistic experience of sex because it takes away what you were talking about before. It takes away the innocence of learning with others your own age and, you know, that awkwardness, that insecurity. And so while most of your uh, peers would all be still fumbling around (laughs) and learning like most of us, you know, you had lost that innocence and you could actually become, well, you actually did become disillusioned because, while your, let's say, your 16-year-old partner, somebody your own age is fumbling around and awkward, like you said, you were well past that stage and um, it wasn't the sort of sex you were used to. You were actually quite well, I hate to use the word, but well-educated mm. about, you know, like you had become um, a um, an adult woman in a sex, um, in a sexual way. Mm. I just think it is just so. I mean, that ruin. It just changed your life. It has. For that six, it changed everything, and that's what I feel so passionate about with with uh, sex abuse. Is that for a short time, generally, when you have a um, uh, within a, a sex abuse, it changes your life forever. Yep. It's not just a. Sorry, but a quickie or a it, – it's, it's more than that. It just mucks around with your head. Yeah. And that's that's kind of – it's actually had psychological – the sexual side of things has had a, a, a profound psychological effect on I me. Mean, there's some things that I could not do with – my ex-husband or even my current partner because, and I won't go into detail because it's a bit of an icky sort of topic, but, you know, there are things that I get flashbacks about if there's any, you know, I've got hang-ups about certain things because of what happened to me and I, I didn't get to, as you say, I didn't get to experience you know, that teen fumbling etc. It yeah. was my first foray and into any sort of sexual relationship and I put that in inverted commas I'm saying a sexual relationship it wasn't a consenting sexual relationship I now realize because I thought it was at the time you know and even for an a long time after that, uh, you know, until I came forward again in 2017, I started seeing I was having troubles in my marriage for, for a number of reasons. But, you know, I I basically went to see a psychologist and he was asking me for a bit of background and I basically went through almost similar to what I did with you at the start of the interview about what I used to do and I said, oh, and I had a, an affair with a PA teacher and he said, what? I said, hang on a minute. Mm. No, stop. Mm. 
He said, wind back the tape. What did you just say? I said, I had an affair with the PA teacher. And he said, "Uh, no, you didn't. No, and actually this particular psychologist is hilarious. He's American and he is – He's so he was exactly what I needed at the time, I think. You know, I don't think he'd be good for me now, but he was awesome at the time for me. He just yeah, basically yeah, yeah. um pulled me into line straight away and just said, That's childhood sexual abuse. He said the age of consent down here, Leah, is seventeen. He said you were groomed well before you were 16. He said mm. there's so many things that are wrong in this scenario, the power imbalance, the fact that he's your teacher, he's twice as old as you. You know, he should never have done this. So, I, you know, I've had to rewrite everything that I've believed. You know, there had been innuendo and gossip about me. I had people coming up to me in my workplace and saying, you're the w- woman that had the affair with the PE teacher at school. It was like because Hobart, it's Hobart too, so everybody knows mm. everybody, and it, it was mm. almost like an uh, an urban legend in some ways. Everybody knew about it, and it wasn't a very well kept secret at all. In fact, and you know when I spoke, but that wasn't through any any fault of yours. No, because no. uh, you weren't. Well, um, well, I suppose what you say is you were pretty, I hate to use the word, but pretty free and easy maybe um, in a, you know, a sexual sense, maybe that got you a bit of a reputation. Yeah. Sorry, I hate to say absolutely. that, but it's, I, it's a, as it is. I agree. I absolutely agree with that. And I, you know, I'll own that because that's exactly what happened. You know, I, I've got over the shame part of it now, Narelle. I actually, Good. I don't... Yeah. Um, I now know why I did the things I did after that had happened to me because once I'd seen the psychologist, we did a lot of work about, you know, rewriting my internal monologue, basically my 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 story, my blueprint, basically. Um, so there's a, you know, and unfortunately my marriage did not survive the, the you know, the Supreme Court hearing and the psychology appointments you know by the time we got through that I was a completely different person to be honest like I was actually I I really was triggered by when you go back into everything and having to relay everything to the police and then the DPP and then in the court and then you know reading your victim impact statement and you know I wanted to I actually wanted to top myself I actually said to my ex-husband I just want to drive off the road I just want to drive off the road into a tray. And he, he couldn't understand why I felt like that. And it was horrendous. I ended up in hospital because I think because of stress, but I think it was psychosomatic. I actually ended up with a really bad back and they put me in hospital for about three or four days. I can't remember now. But that was when in the middle of when it all blew up in the paper down here. And, of course, everybody's having their their say about it because everybody knew about it at school in particular. But, you know, there were other people that knew about it. And there were some very unkind um, comments um, made. And you shouldn't read the comments, Narelle. I know that now. (laughs) I don't ever read anything to do with anything I've had in the paper now um, on Facebook or any social media. But, yeah, these girls were brutal. And even some of the men that didn't even know me, they were brutal. You know, oh, she loved it. She was asking for it. She always laughed about it, you know, and I did, to be honest. That was the only way that I could cope. I mean, mean, we've spoken a few times, Narelle. You know, I like a bit Mm. of a laugh and I'm, you know, a bit of a Mm. silly as a wheel, my dad would say. But, you know, I like to have a good time and I do often cope or try and cope with things with humour. So, therefore. I do too. Absolutely. And, you know, I've just started studying for the first time in 28 years. I'm doing a um, nursing course and Mm. I actually had a counsellor's appointment because I realised I was actually having these um, episodes while I was in class. I started sweating profusely and, you know, I'd get, really sort of agitated but I'd kind of you know be a bit of a clown I'd actually go into this sort of weird humor mode and it was because I was feeling really uncomfortable where I was and that's how I and I look back on things and this counselor honestly she was so brilliant she said that served 
for you back when this that all happened to you. That actually served you and you need to be kind to yourself about that person because she's actually got you through to now but we now need to try and get you back to some other way of coping basically um, in class because I'm still 16 in my head a lot of the time, which, yeah, you know, yeah. John Peter Farnham, hello. Like, you know, I love, <laughs> you know, I've still got that, you know, I'm still like a kid that has posters all over her walls in some respects because of my brain and yeah. how it was stunted yeah. with its development because of the abuse. And, you know, yeah, yeah. it's really, it, you know, it actually is so insidious that it, it, it goes through every part and pocket and little nook and cranny of your life. You can, the PTSD and the psychological effects just affect every part of your life. And you've got to have a bit of a sense of humour with PTSD, I think. A lot of people do because it's a bloody awful thing to go through. It's a really horrible thing to go through. It is. What an amazing woman Leah is. Next week... We talk to her more about the effects that the abuse had on her, but also her experience with reporting the matter to the police and also her unfavourable experience with the justice system. So until next week, have a good week. Take care of yourselves because today isn't easy listening, is it? But have a good week and I'll talk to you next week. It's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hello, guess who? Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narelle Fraser Interviews Patreon. How exciting! Simply go to www.patreon, that's P for Peter, A-T-R-E-O-N for Narelle.com and search for Narelle Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there who continue to support me, thank you so much. 